be with y'all this morning. Uh, my name is Wes Tubel. I'm the director of Hope Counseling Services in Chapel Hill, and uh, Corey is actually on our board at Hope, and your church is very uh, special to our family. We've enjoyed getting to know y'all along the way. We know several of y'all, uh, even personally, and have had relationships with, with uh, some of you for many years, uh, and so it's good to be here. I'm sad my wife and kids can't be here today. The last couple times I've come uh, to, to preach. Uh, y'all were outside, and so my family stay, stayed at home, but we were really looking forward to them coming. But my wife is bravely camping with my three young kids. Um, and I say bravely because we are not a camping family. Uh, so I've known my wife for 12 years, and this is the first time either of us have been camping uh, since we've known each other. So uh, she, uh, she's a trooper. Uh, she is with friends uh, doing it, so she's had some help, but I'm I'm sad she couldn't be here today. So this morning, we're continuing our series, uh, Conversations with Jesus. And we're specifically looking at a conversation this morning uh, to explore the topic of Jesus and shame. I appreciated Adam's prayer there when he said, all of us know the experience of shame. When I was in seminary, getting my degree so uh, that I could be trained to counsel. One of the particular classes I had was a class called Counseling Problems and Procedures. And it's just what the class sounds like. You would explore various problems you would encounter in counseling, and then how do you actually counsel those things? What are the procedures you would use? And what we did in that class was for about the first five weeks or so of the class, we explored uh, problems that every human being experiences, universal problems. So anger would be one of those. Anxiety and fear would be another one of those. And then we would move into more difficult, uh, uh, I shouldn't say difficult, we would become to more particular problems that not every single human being experiences and might be more particularized for people. But interestingly, in that class, the very first uh, topic that we covered was guilt and shame. Shame really is something that every single human being experiences. And I'll just explore that a little bit, too. What what do I mean by every human being experiences? Some of you are in here this morning, and you come from a cultural background of honor and shame. It was just part of the very ways that your culture did life. For others of you, it could be your family of origin, just the ways that you grew up in your home. There was a lot of shaming in your home. It could have been from siblings. It could have been from parents. It could have been from things we've experienced. For example, I think of anybody who has ever been bullied knows shame. Perhaps it's because of shameful things you have done, the sins you've committed, even though you knew you were wrong. Perhaps like the woman in our passage we're looking at today, it wasn't because of something you did and it wasn't something somebody else did, but it's something that's happened to you because of life in a broken world. I think about physical infirmities, learning disabilities, infertility, things like that. But shame touches us all. And shame is, it's one of those things, I I, want to explore the experience of shame together this morning to, to really wrap our minds around it and see the power of this conversation Jesus has with this woman in Luke chapter 8. Because shame is one of those things, it's like, you are shame when you experience shame. It's not like I, sometimes I feel shame, sometimes it'll, it's like clothes that you wear. It's like the air, is, air that you breathe. You can't get away 
from shame. And shame is one of those things that, that each of us struggles with that, that just screams out, I need help. I need help. It's powerful in every single one of our lives. And the question I want to hold out to you this morning for us to consider is, where do you go with your shame? I love the fact that Psalm 34 uh, is, is part of our order of worship today because it just even says those who look to him are radiant. And what does it look like to look to him? But where do you go with your shame? There's one way we can go where we seek to deal with shame on our own and we seek to, to cover our own shame and cleanse ourselves from our own shame. And I think that way leads to just more entanglement and more wrestling with shame. And then there's one way we can go that frees us from the grip of shame. So let me pray for us, and we're going to just walk through this passage uh, in Luke chapter 8 and explore this conversation with Jesus. Let me, let me pray for us. God, our Father, we do thank you that there is not a single problem that we encounter that you don't help us with. We can come to you. You see our plight. Even as we sang this morning, I heard the voice of Jesus say, what a wonderful voice that is. And this morning, would you help us to hear that voice calling us to come to him? And would we run this morning? And would we experience freedom from the grip of shame? In Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So this passage in Luke chapter 8, it's, it's, it's towards the very end of a section of Luke's gospel uh, there's going to be a transition point in chapter 9 that Jesus goes on a Jerusalem journey from chapter 9 to 19. And a good chunk of that section, 9 to 19, a lot of confrontations with religious leaders that weren't quite getting it with Jesus. And so there's the, a lot of conversations, a lot of con uh, confrontation with uh, Pharisees and other religious leaders. But these, this passage we're looking at is a section where we're seeing Jesus' power over several things in creation. He calms a storm. He heals a demon-possessed man. We're seeing what he's doing in this passage today with Jairus' daughter and with this woman. In this passage we're looking at today, if you've been a Christian for a while, it might be a familiar passage to you, this woman who comes and touches Jesus and experiences healing. Some of you might be here and you've never heard this passage before, and there will be a newness to you, but I hope for all of us we can slow it down and, and really capture what's going on here with Jesus in this conversation, its implications for you and me today. So the passage begins with a different woman than the one we're going to spend most of our time focusing, right? It's Jairus' daughter. And what's significant about that to me is Jairus comes and he tells her what? He tells her, my daughter is dying. Now, if someone comes to Jesus, uh, if you were the one who came to Jesus and you said, my daughter's dying, what would you want Jesus to do, right? Stop everything and head to help her. Get there quickly. In some ways, this even reminds us of another passage of Scripture when Mary and Martha come to say that Lazarus is ill, and yet Jesus delays in going. Why does he delay, and why does he delay here? And that's, I think that's going to be an important part of our passage this morning. Because we would think that Jairus' daughter who's dying, she's 12 years old, would create a sense of urgency for Jesus. And yet, he takes time to meet this woman in her need. We'll return to this. So now we come to this other woman in the passage, and she has been bleeding, bleeding for 12 
years. That's interesting too. 12 year old, she's been bleeding for 12 years. So this young girl's whole life, this woman has had this condition. And it was a, it was a uterine blood flow. So you think just she's having a, 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 just a, con, a continuous cycle of, of blood flowing, and that's important to recognize because that would make her ceremoniously unclean. She's unclean, and she's been that way for 12 years. Because she was unclean, she really couldn't be around other people. To touch her would make you unclean. That was one of the reasons why, why she had to be isolated. She had to be around other people because as we, as we learn even in the Old Testament, there were, there were laws and there were rules and there were purification things because if a clean thing touched an unclean thing, it only went in one direction. It always made the clean thing unclean. One commentator notes that she most likely would have been shut out from fellowship in religious life. 12 years. She would have lived in embarrassment. I was thinking about this, this passage, and uh, if you think back to the early days of COVID, which seems like a lifetime ago, Corey and I were talking about something else out there about the early days of COVID. He says we've, we've tried to block that out of our memory. But if you think of the early days of COVID, and you would know somebody that was even exposed to COVID, do you remember what used to have to happen? I mean, we had some quarantining here recently, but our quarantine kind of changed. But in the early days, you'd have to, like, hold yourself up in your room for two weeks. Do you all remember that? I even knew I had one friend um, that she, she, she was sick with COVID, and it wasn't getting well. For 30 days, she was basically in her bedroom. Her husband would have to bring her meal and would leave it outside her door. Like, she didn't see people for, for, for 30 days. But, it, but I, I was thinking about those early days of it because it just felt like if, if you were the one that had to like quarantine, even though you did nothing wrong, you were just around it, like you just, you, you, you felt weird. I mean, you felt it's, it's like you had gotten the plague or you were exposed to the plague and now you're sitting behind here. And, and that's like this tiny, small taste of what it must have been like for this woman. That for 12 years, she could not be around anybody or at least had to keep her distance. So she was unclean. And that word's helpful because that's one of the experiences of shame. You know, we were talking earlier in Adam's prayer, we all deal with shame in some way. For this woman, it was her uncleanness because of this condition that she had. But I want to throw out some other words for us this morning because unclean might not capture your experience of shame, but, but see if any of these words do. Here's some of the other words that would capture the experience of shame. Humiliated, exposed, disgraced, trash, defiled, dirty, disgusting, unlovable, worthless, a nothing, useless, not belonging, forsaken, used up, or a loser. I had one, one person I had been meeting with uh, a while back that he used the word, uh, I often in my life felt othered. And when I was around my peers, I was treated in such a way that always made me feel other. That would be another experience of shame. What, what of those words resonates with your story? 
You know, I mentioned guilt and shame. I think guilt is something a lot of us can, can put our fingers around, uh, uh, put our hands around a little bit more because guilt has like this forensic quality to it. It's like you are guilty and you need to be justified to it. And in Christ, like we see that. We still may struggle with that, but it, but it seems like a more, a more uh, graspable concept. But shame, shame has, so guilt, I am guilty. I need forgiveness. I need redemption. Shame has this before the eyes of other people quality to it right? In my shame, I don't want to be seen by other people. There are parts of me I don't want them to see because when they see it, it just makes me feel all the more exposed. If they see it, they're going to see me for who I really am. And we're just trying to put words around what shame is. And so what do we do with that? I said there's different ways. There's There's a way we can handle that makes it worse. There's a way that we can handle it that actually brings us out of shame. Ways we deal with it on our own, we hide. We cover up. Both of those things have been happening since Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve break God's commandment. They recognize, you know, end of Genesis 2, they're naked and unashamed. Genesis chapter 3, sinners in the world, what do they do? They hide behind bushes and they cover themselves. Other ways we deal with our shame, we withdraw. We escape. Some people in their shame, they say, well, I'm a shameful person, so I might as well do shameful things, and they act out in their shame. Again, where do you go with your shame? Interestingly, we look at this woman in the passage, and we see some of the ways that she tried to deal with her uncleanness and her shame. Some of the other gospel accounts of this uh, interaction with this woman, fill in a few more details. So, for example, Mark 5.26 tells us that she spent all of her money on doctors. All of her money. So it's logical to conclude that not all of these were traditional doctors. And you can imagine being her, right? For 12 years you've struggled with this. You would do anything to get rid of this. But I think in some ways, like what she was doing was that when traditional medicine didn't work, she was just trying to find anything that would work, and she was willing to spend it all. Think voodoo medicine. She was willing to go anywhere. She was willing to try anything. She was willing to spend any bit of money to deal with her condition. She also suffered at the hands of doctors. Mark's account, interestingly, tells us that she got no better, but in fact got worse. Again, can you imagine that? You're spending all your money, so now you're destitute. You still have the condition. You're unclean. You're kept out of religious life. Nothing's helped, and now you have no money. It's like shame upon shame, embarrassment upon embarrassment. Jairus' daughter is dying. Jesus is walking, and there's this whole crowd of people everywhere. And again, remember, if, if a clean thing touches an unclean thing, it becomes unclean. But there's this crowd, and so she's going to have to move through this crowd. She's going to have to touch people in the crowd to get to Jesus. And you just think Jesus is walking, and it's like that the people are all around him, and she's going to have to make her way. So she sneaks up to Jesus most likely because she didn't want to be noticed or seen. If she was noticed or seen, people would want, to, want her to get away or they would want to get away from her. And she just, she reaches out and she, she touches the, the hem of his garment, just the, just the corner. 
Perhaps they were, one, one uh, theory is that it was maybe Jesus had a rabbinic robe on and they were the tassels at the end of that robe and she just, she just touches it. And immediately, two things happened simultaneously. First, she was healed. Immediately. But something else happened, and, and, and I want to slow this down. So if we were watching this, uh, I have not watched the, seen The Chosen yet. People have recommended it to me. I, I, I don't know if, they're, if people have seen that. So I don't know if this scene is in there or not, but I'm thinking if you're filming this, this would be the moment when the camera zooms in and perhaps certain music comes on the background because something is about to happen here. And so Jairus' daughter is dying. You would think he would be in a hurry. But what does Jesus do? He actually, he slows down and has a very intentional conversation. With intentionality, he is about to publicly out this woman. Why? I think it's because he wants to make a dramatic point for you and me and for all who are watching. So first, he has a conversation with the crowd at large, where he raises this question, and the question was like, who, who touched me? And I don't know what the tone of that question was. Like, you, you could think, was it, was it like a surprise? Like, Jesus didn't really know who touched him? I, uh, most commentators would agree that it wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't know. It was that he wanted to, to make this point. And so I'm thinking the question was something like, who who touched me as a way of like drawing this out? And nobody answered, right? Nobody, nobody answered. And then uh, Peter had a Peter moment, right? Um, Peter often used to, Peter's about to make like a duh statement to Jesus. Well, Jesus, there's, like, there's all these people here. Of course somebody touched you. People are touching you all the time. But I mentioned two simultaneous, th- two simultaneous things happened. The first was that she was immediately healed, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. This was a different touch. Because when she touched me, power went out from me. And this is fascinating, and I think this is really important, because I, I keep driving home this point about the clean and the unclean things. When she touched him, power went out from him, and he did not become unclean. Formerly, something, un- something clean touched something unclean, and we know what happened. But here, the uncleanness was dealt with. Something else happened here. Power went out from him, and it made her clean. Now, she would have been afraid to be made known. Again, she snuck up to him, but... but but Jesus is like, no, no, I want to know who touched me. I want the crowd to know who touched me because I want to say something to you. And so she comes trembling, and she admits what she did. It, it, was, it was me. I wanted to touch you because I believed you could help me. And see, I think this is what her confession was. This is what she was saying in front of that crowd, and this is you and I, to latch on to this morning. Psalm 34 is getting at this as well. She knew she needed help. And she knew the one who could help her. And so she said, help me. That's what that touch was doing to Jesus. I need help. You are the one who can help, and I'm going to come for help. 
And I think that's the essence of living faith day to day, whether you've been a Christian for 25 years or 25 minutes, or if you're exploring Christianity. It's to come and say, I need help, and you are the one who promises to help me. I'm going to come for help. Again, I've said our shame is powerful. Our shame is a powerful and vivid reminder every day of our, we, every day of our lives that we need help. We are in dire need, just like this woman. And just like this woman, there is nothing that we can do on our own to deal with it. And just like this woman, we are tempted to try everything and to do everything to deal with it. You know, I mentioned hiding. I mentioned, um, as, uh, I mentioned escaping. I mentioned uh, covering. Here's a couple other things we can do. Resume building is a way that we can seek to deal with our shame. If I can hold up to you my resume, if I can tell you all the things that I've accomplished and you can see how qualified I am, then you don't have to see this part of me over here. We can live in regrets. That's another way of doing it. Is just thinking if I could just go back there and redo all of this, I wouldn't feel this way. I mentioned bullying earlier. Uh, I've, I've, I've done some work with, with adults who were bullied when they were younger. And one of, especially primarily men who I've worked with in counseling, but, but here's it's something interesting that I have noticed in adult, uh, in adult men who have been bullied uh, as an adolescent, usually around middle school, is that every single one of them has some kind of self-protective behaviors. It could be the clothes that they wear. They want to make sure they wear really nice-looking clothes, and they want to say, like, like, look at the outside of me. Don't look at what I feel like on the inside. And every single one of these men that I have worked with, success is really important and a temptation to, to latch on to success as a way of covering. And why? It's because there's this radical insecurity that, like, if you really knew what was on the inside, you would see what was really there, and I don't want you to see that. It's this need that they know they need help, and I'm trying to do all I can to, to deal with it. But none of it works. Again, and if you know the experience of shame, and I think all of us do, and you know what it's like to try to, try to deal with it on your own, you know that it just entangles more and more. It ensnares us. We don't actually deal with it. We have more covering to do, more hiding to do, more resume building to do. Think of this woman, though, and one brief touch and years of agony and embarrassment, as one com commentator says, years of agony and embarrassment are reversed in one brief touch. It makes me think of, of the man in Mark uh, chapter 1. Uh, he's, a, he's a leper. And same thing there, if you were to touch him, you become unclean. And he comes to Jesus and he says, sir, if, if you will, you can make me clean. And it's interesting in that passage because like all Jesus had to do was say, I will. You're clean. That's all he had to do. But Mark's gospel in that place says, and reaching out his hand, he touched him and said, your faith has made you well. Jesus, is, again, he's going out of his way with this woman, Mark chapter 1, to say, My I am not afraid to touch you in your shame. I'm not afraid to touch your uncleanness. I'm not afraid of your shame because I can deal with it. 
the right touch by the right person changes everything. And again, Jesus was intentionally outing her to this crowd because he wants to make this point, should be in a hurry to get to Jairus' daughter. But she comes to him with this confession, and then Jesus has these beautiful words he says to her. He turns and he looks at her, and, and, and look what he says. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. And I keep asking, can you imagine this? You put yourself in this, in this woman's shoes 12 years, feeling like an outsider, being an outsider, being quarantined, not around other people, being ceremoniously unclean, cut off from religious activities. And here, the Son of God is saying, it's not just that you're going from outsider to insider. You are now my family. You are my child. You are mine. I think there's a few important things that we, we take from that. One thing that we take from that was her faith did play a role in what happened, right? That's what Jesus said to her, right? Yes, it was Jesus' touch. It was Jesus' power. He did the changing, but he commends her for her faith. You came to me. You came to me because you knew I could help you. And biblically, I want to emphasize this this morning, biblically, when it talks about our faith, it's never the quantity and it's never the quality of your faith, it's the presence of faith. Again, she just, she just snuck up and touched the tassel. She said, I just know if I could just touch him, I'll be okay. And so you may say, like, Wes, I, I believe this morning, but, but it's, it's smaller than a mustard seed. That's okay. Because faith oriented at the right person changes everything. So yes, her faith played a role. It was not insignificant. And I mentioned that this section of Luke's gospel is Jesus having power, power over creation, over a storm, power over demons, power over blood flow. This commentator, this, this commentator I've been quoting says, in fact, when one considers the four miracles of eight, chapter 8, verses 22 to 56, it is Jesus' comprehensive power that stands out. This power provides the opportunity for people to see God. Such power exposes the impotency of the forces that oppose God and humanity. The forces may be natural, demonic, disease, or death, yet Jesus is able to reverse them all, and I think that includes the power of shame. Now I want to return to this title that Jesus gives her daughter. It's familial. It's saying you are now my child forever. One of the things that Jesus does with our shame, I read that list of words earlier, like defiled, right, loser, othered. One of the things he does is he reverses the effect and he gives us new titles. When he deals with our shame, we expect to see reversals. This is, this is what Jesus actually does when we come to him with our shame. He gives us honor, glory, he lifts our heads. He gives us power. He makes us worthy. He showers us with his love. He makes us clean, approved, adopted, accepted, brought in, chosen, crowned, remembered. We're made heirs, just like this woman, heirs of the living God. 
And here's what's also interesting when you look at New Testament language. Again, in the, you, you had in the Old Testament, you had the clean and the unclean things. But you also had another category in the Old Testament. You had the devoted things. You had the holy things, holy to the Lord. Interestingly, in the New Testament, holy is now applied to me and you. So it's not just that he takes us, makes our unclean clean. He says, you are holy to the Lord. And that's what Jesus does. And so again, this, this scene in Luke's gospel, this conversation, he should have been in a hurry, but he wanted us to see what happened. Even when he healed her, he could have just kept walking, right? She touches him, power goes out, she is made well. He could have just kept walking. And yet he gives us this conversation so that you and I this morning all of God's people throughout time can see how he deals with our uncleanness. So what do we do with this? What do we do with our shame? I think, again, about Psalm 34 that we're looking at. Those who look to him are radiant, and they shall never, their faces shall never be ashamed. There's a, there's a song by Chris Rice. Many of you may know it. It's called Untitled Hymn by Chris Rice. If you don't know it, go home and listen to it on your music app. It's called Untitled Hymn by Chris Rice. It's beautiful. But here's the first verse of the song. It says, weak and wounded sinner, lost and left to die. Raise your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, and live. You think about that, right? In our shame, our head is bowed down, right? We don't, e- e- even there, I think about my kids, especially one time when my oldest daughter, I think she was only two at the time, she was doing something, and I, I said her name, and however I said it, you know, she immediately did this with her head, right? In our shame, we think, well, if I can hide from you, you won't see me, but here it is when we see love passing by, we, we lift up our heads and we look. Jesus. And I think looking to him is to say, I need help. And I'm going to come to him for help. One way we could do this is we go back and review the sermons that we've had the last three or four weeks, these conversations with Jesus. What does it look like to come to him for help? So one is we, we look to him. Two, we hear his words to us. Hear his words to me and you. And I just very briefly just want to talk about like our feelings versus like faith and trust is where one of, one, of the, one of the most important things we can do is we just keep reading over and over again about what Jesus does and what he promises to do and how he promises to meet us. And when we do that, there may be times you say, Wes, I've, I've done that. I believe he deals with my shame and I still feel it. Feelings are important, right? They are true. I'm feeling it. So when I'm feeling it, it's like I can't say, well, you shouldn't feel it. Well, I do feel that way. But Feelings don't determine all of reality, right? Feelings don't determine all of reality. And so I just would encourage you that it's not about whether I feel or don't feel. It's like, what does he say is true, and how do I live in light of that? And then the last thing, what do we do with this? Speak it to another person. This is what he's doing in my life. Invite them to speak to you about what he's doing in their life. Shame wants to hide. And it's just powerful what Jesus does when we bring it to the light. We bring it to him, 
and we speak these things to other people and we recognize what we have in him and that we don't have to hide. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to deal with it on our own. One touch, full of faith, changes everything. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we, we could recount story after story after story in the Gospels of how intentional you were with people to, to demonstrate your love, your compassion, your care. You see us where we're stuck. You see what we wrestle with. You see the effects of sin and brokenness on our world, and, and you come to us. And this woman in this passage, you you dignified her in the presence of everybody around her. You gave her honor and you made her your child and everyone gets to see it. And here 2,000 years later, we are still marveling at that story. Thank you, Jesus. Would you help us to run to you with our shame? Thank you that you deal with every single problem that vexes us in powerful ways. We love you, Jesus.